So David uh, is uh, one of the men, young men, that I prayed for for well over a year that I've been meeting with uh, since September in what I'm calling the Iron Men Discipleship Group. And these are guys that I believe have the potential to be uh, leaders in ministry, whether it's in this church or wherever the Lord may lead them. And because of that, uh, I've really wanted to make a diligent effort to help them be grounded in God's Word. And so since we started meeting, we've been going through and reading and reflecting in the Gospel of Luke together. And it was really through our discussions, uh, that time that I had with these men, that the Advent series kind of, the Lord led me to what we will be doing in the next few weeks. It's a series I've entitled, Unexpected Gifts. As we look at the unique ways, often surprising ways, that the Lord brings blessing into our life. This morning, we'll be looking at the gift of silence seeing how God creates a quiet space in our heart in order that he might speak truth into our life, which is something that we desperately need in the chaos of our crazy world today. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to do come humbly before you. And in the silence of our quiet hearts, we pray that you clearly speak truth into our life, transforming truth. Lord, we, we together as a people pray that we would not be unchanged, but in fact transformed as your spirit speaks truth into our life and that you transform us to become more like your son. We believe that your word has the power to perform that miraculous work, and we invite you to do that this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I want to begin by reflecting on uh, that passage that David just read for us uh, this morning. And as I tell the group uh, when we meet together, I said, I want you to make this per uh, personal, <laughs> I don't want you to just read for the sake of gaining new information. I want you to read with hopeful expectation of transformation. Like this is living and active and empowered to, to transform our hearts and lives and renew our minds. And, and I want you to put yourself in the story as if God has something specific that he wants to speak into your heart this morning. That's to me what it means to read it personally. <laughs> like expectantly. This morning, we hear the story of a, a priest named Zechariah. Uh, we also learn that he's married to a woman named Elizabeth, who also came from a priestly line. In fact, Luke tells us that he came from the daughters of Aaron. So if you uh, look at her lineage, it goes all the way back to Aaron, the brother of Moses, who was actually the first appointed priest by God. We learn that these two people were righteous and blameless, which, by the way, doesn't mean that they were perfect and never failed. <laughs> that description only applies to one person, and that's Jesus, our Savior. And instead, when it says that they're righteous and blameless, it meant that they always maintain a humble posture before the Lord, desiring to trust them, with, with all their heart, realizing there's, there's always places of unsurrendered self that they would bring before him. 
because their desire was to, to honor him with their lives, even in the midst of their suffering. In fact, I believe personally and experientially that that's where their faith was most deepened, was, was in places of suffering. As we learn in verse 7, Elizabeth was barren, which means she was unable to bear a child. In, in her culture, many of you know this, to, to have been barren would have been a social disgrace. In fact, she actually uses that exact word later in her account. It was a disgrace. Because being barren was often viewed as a judgment of God for some sinful, hidden flaw in the woman or perhaps the man. And although that would have undeniably been difficult for Elizabeth to endure, we can also imagine that it would have been difficult for Zechariah and his ministry as well. Because remember, he is a priest, a priest whose prayers aren't being answered when he prays for his wife. So even though they were blameless before God, they would have been suspect in their society. But that didn't stop them from being faithful. Almost miraculously, their marriage remained remarkably strong. Despite the difficulty, they were committed to one another, and they continued to, to serve in ministry. In verse 9, we learn that, that Zechariah was chosen by Lot to burn incense at the temple. And, and we need to kind of put this into context and realize how extremely rare this would have been. Zechariah was one of over 20,000 priests who would have served at the temple during that time, they were, as it notes in our passage, divided in divisions, specifically 24 different divisions. And so a priest would serve with his division a couple of times a year for about a week at a time. So statistically speaking, this literally was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for Zechariah. He had been divinely chosen, chosen by Lot to burn incense in the temple before the Holy of Holies. That smoke, everything that, that God designed in the temple had purpose and meaning. And that smoke that was rising from the altar as that incense was being burned was intended to, to represent the, the prayers of the people as they were ascending into heaven. They would have been a, a sweet-smelling aroma in the presence of God. But I want you to think about that in light of Zechariah's story. How often, think about this, how often do you think Zechariah prayed for his wife to become pregnant? But God remained silent. How much confidence in light of that reality do you think the people had in his prayers for them? In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Zechariah had some doubts and questions of his own, right? But he had been identified by God to alter, uh, offer uh, incense in the altar representing the prayers of God's people before him. 
which may explain why he was so terrified when the angel appeared. Verse 12, verse 12 tells us that Zechariah was troubled and gripped with fear. I don't think at this point in the encounter that he was expecting good news, okay? This was a terrifying experience. Knowing this, the angel comforts him, and he says, don't be afraid. The Lord has heard your prayers. Your wife will bear a son. Night after night, month after month, Year after year, Zechariah prayed for his wife to become pregnant. But God remained silent, and his wife remained barren. And I just wonder, at what point did he stop praying this prayer? Because the Scripture tells us that by this time, they are well beyond childbearing years, okay? So it'd be kind of like expecting your grandparents to pray for another child, okay? That doesn't even hit the, the, the radar, does it? And so in all likelihood, there was a point in time where both he and his wife realistically had to conclude this just isn't gonna happen. They couldn't hold on to that dream any longer. And so now they receive something that they didn't see coming. But I think there's more going on than just Zachariah's personal petition. Because as a priest, and specifically in this responsibility he's been given before the altar of incense, he is praying for the nation of Israel. And God has been silent to those prayers for 400 years years. Silent. During that time, there has been no prophet. There has been no judge. There has been no king. And despite the ongoing diligent prayers for God's promised deliverance, silence. And so the angel <laughs> explains to Zechariah how both his personal and priestly prayers are now being answered. And God will give him a son. And not only that, his son will be filled with the spirit, get this, like the prophets of old. So the silence is being broken and both prayers are being answered. But for Zechariah, this is hard to imagine, almost too good to be true. In that moment, his mind was filled with, with doubt and unbelief. He, he lived so long in the silence of, an, of unanswered prayers, he, he, he just couldn't imagine how this would be possible. So he, he asked the angel, how will I know this for certain? In other words, can you give me more? Is there, is there some additional proof? And if you think about it, here you have this man witnessing a miracle, asking for a miracle to prove a miracle, right? He's standing in the miraculous presence of an angel who's giving a miraculous prophecy, and he needs more proof. 
But I want you to notice the issue of his primary concern. Before we get too critical of our friend Zachariah, because this wasn't about just the announcement of a miraculous birth, as incredible as that might have been. The hope of the entire nation, okay, don't, don't miss the gravity of this. The, the hope of the entire nation is based upon the fulfillment of this promise. Zechariah has been told by the angel that his son will be the forerunner of the promised Messiah, the 400-year prayer of deliverance. So Zechariah is concerned because the hope of the nation hinges on him and his wife. Do you feel the weight of that? They must bear a son. And rationally, logically in his mind, he knows this is physiologically impossible. They should know they've been trying for decades. He doubted his own limitations and lost sight of the power of God. In other words, the size of the problem grew bigger than the strength of his God. Has that ever happened to you? As the size of your problem grew bigger, grown bigger than the, the strength of your God? You see, that's why he was filled with unbelief. So the angel tells him, because of your unbelief, you will be unable to speak. And I believe, as we see later in the passage, unable to hear as well. I think in this moment, he becomes deaf and dumb. He cannot hear and he cannot speak. So, so think about that. Even though he'd received this good news, when he walks out of the temple, he couldn't explain anything to anyone. Again, think about this. Make it personal. He has been given, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating on this, he has been given the greatest word, uh, the greatest news the world has ever known. And he cannot say a word. And I think very often when we read this passage, we look at this um, declaration by the angel that he couldn't speak and that he couldn't hear as a punishment for his unbelief. But I want to ask you to consider a possible option. I want you to consider this morning that it was actually an unexpected gift of God's grace. An invitation for Zechariah to, to deepen his faith in God. Because what I want us to do here now is I want us to fast forward from this event to nine months later, okay? Keeping in mind that Zechariah has been unable to speak and unable to hear for almost a full year. And in my mind, again, I'm making this personal. In my mind, that's plenty of time to become bitter at God, right? After all, what good has it been to be blameless and righteous before him if this is the result? Not to mention all the, the worry and concern about the future. I mean, how can he raise a son, the one that he's waited for all his life, if he cannot speak to him? 
How can he respond to his cry if he cannot hear it? Nine months is a really long time to process those thoughts. But what we find in our passage is that instead of growing bitter, Zechariah grows bold. We see that in Luke's account of Elizabeth's miraculous birth. Because as the angel declared, she did in fact bear a son. And now we go eight days later after that, the day that he was to be circumcised. It's an important event, especially in that culture. And so there are a number of of family and friends who have gathered together for the event. And they're asking Elizabeth, what are you going to name the child? And she keeps telling them, his name is John. And they look at her with confusion, like, this doesn't make sense. You don't don't have anyone in your lineage that, that has that name? There's no connection? So the scripture tells us that they look to John, and this is where it says that they make gestures. They're trying to talk to him with their hands because he can't hear them, and they need confirmation. And so he takes a tablet, and he writes, his name is John, exclamation point. Okay, the exclamation point's not actually in the scripture, okay? But I think he did. I think he did. Instead of growing bitter, he grew bold, and he believed in all of his heart what the angel had proclaimed. His name is John, exclamation point. I want us to read what he then says, because in that moment that he declares what he believed to be true, it says that his mouth was opened. He can speak, okay, almost a year. He can say anything he wants to. He's had plenty of time to become bitter, but instead his mouth was filled with prophetic praise. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God which which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. People, the silence was broken in every sense of the word. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Zachariah's mouth spills out prophetic praise. 
He's not just reminding the people of all the past promises of God. He's actually proclaiming that they are being fulfilled right now in the present. He said, God has visited us. It's past tense. This is happening. This is an ongoing reality. He's brought redemption for his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation through the house of David. This is a present reality in the nation of Israel. And Zechariah is clearly communicating. He is announcing that the time of the Messiah has come. The prayer for deliverance has been answered. And yet, if you think about it, he's giving all this good news before the day Jesus was actually born. But, but keep in mind, we know through what we read in Scripture, that by, by this time, Elizabeth has already visited Mary. And she knew the miracle of the Messiah in her womb. And so did Zechariah. Because in 76, verse 76, Zechariah shifts his attention from the promised Messiah to his own son. And he identifies John as the prophet who will pave the way for that Messiah. The one who will announce, as we read later in John chapter 1, verse 29, when he says, this is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Jesus is that light in the darkness, the one who will lead us into everlasting peace. So here's my question. How in the world did Zechariah come to such a deep knowledge of that truth? How did he move from this place of, of doubt and unbelief to bold conviction and proclamation? It came through the unexpected gift of silence, which, as it turns out, wasn't a punishment after all. In fact, it was a gift of God's grace and an invitation to deepen his faith amidst all his questions and doubts. It's kind of like, in my mind, a one-on-one -on -one tutoring session <laughs> where God could help him see the ways that his hand is at work, much like I imagine it being when Jesus encountered the disciples after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. Right, Because you remember what he says, Luke chapter 20, verse 27, says, Jesus, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And we know that when they listened, when they were quiet, when they listened, they understood things that they had never seen before. And I believe the very same thing is true for Zechariah. I also believe the very same thing is true for us. We may have some unique challenges because we live in a very crazy, chaotic world where busyness is kind of like a badge of honor. In fact, I'm convinced that there were conversations that took place this morning that you had with other people where you, in your greeting with one another, how are you, Dax? Good, good. Just busy. Was that said anywhere this morning? Absolutely. Oh, we're good. We're just, we're just busy. It's, it's almost like a badge of honor. 
Sometimes it can become even a drug because we need to be busy to feel important and valuable. And being quiet and still, well, that sounds like a serious waste of time. But here's the danger, and please, if you have not been listening until now, please listen to this, okay? I don't want you to miss it. We can become spiritually barren if we get too busy. We can become spiritually barren from being too busy. We cannot bear fruit if we do not learn to be still because the deep things of God are often revealed in quiet places. It's a place to receive the unexpected gift of God's grace. I've shared with many of you uh, my experience on my sabbatical. When I took a week of silence and went to a monastery uh, just north of Santa Fe. Uh, I had purposefully planned it for the end of my sabbatical because uh, both leading up to and even during my sabbatical, I kind of had a legal pad of questions and just things that I needed to process and think through that I was taking to the Lord, praying about. And it was really an interesting experience. I'm an introvert by nature, so I wasn't worried about solitude and science. Kind of felt like it's kind of my thing, you know. So I went and... Uh, and I think I was a bit surprised by the impact because there was no technology, no text messages, no television. Really, there was no connection to the outside world at all. And other than a brief conversation that I had with the guest master when I first arrived, there was complete silence. Practiced throughout the property to the point that I had three meals a day with the monks and a small handful of guests like me, and nobody ever said a word. But I was ready. I mean, I, I had a stack of books. I had my Bible, and I had my legal pad with all my questions, and I was ready to get after it and see what the Lord had to say. But it didn't take very long before I realized how difficult this was going to be without being able to have a conversation and process it with someone. And so what happened is I found myself going on long walks and speaking out loud, saying, Lord, <laughs> I guess it's just me and you. Do you mind if I share what's on my heart? And I would say it out loud. Lord, here's where I'm struggling. God, this is where I think you're leading me. If this is true, would you, would you confirm, would you give me clarity Here's some places where I have doubts. Would you speak into that? And no, in case you're wondering, I didn't hear a voice from heaven. But I can tell you with utmost certainty, he spoke clearly to my heart. He answered questions. It, it, it was the moments that were filled with more awe and goodness of God than I have ever experienced in my lifetime, to the point that I remember saying, I think this is the way it's supposed to be, because this is incredible. The question is, 
How do we cultivate that kind of intimacy with God in the midst of everyday life? Because life on a monastery is not the answer, okay? Well, I'm convinced that it is only possible if we create space for silence. We're all familiar with 4610. Anybody know what it says? Be still and know that I am God. It's a great passage. We, we cling to that. There's truth in that. I agree. But I want us to read the context of that passage. Then let's go back. Let's start in verse 8. It says, Come behold the works of the Lord, who wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. The psalmist is, being, is saying, be still in the midst of desolations, in the midst of wars, in the midst of destruction, literally in the midst of chaos when everything else is crumbling around us, be still and know that he is God. But hear me on this. You will not see it if you are not silent. We become spiritually barren, overwhelmed by life's circumstances if we cannot be still. Just listen to the example that we learned from Elijah. Y'all are familiar with this. First Kings chapter 19. God said, go out to Elijah. Stand at the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And then it says, God spoke. So instead of a closing song this morning, we're going to do something a little different. And we're going to practice what we've been talking about in our passage this morning, and we're going to spend some time in silence. Now, I understand that for some of you, this is going to be incredibly painful. But that's okay. Um, I would just ask that as we take this time in silence, that you will invite the Lord to speak clearly to your heart. Ask him to speak through the truth of his word that we've all heard this morning. Ask him to speak into the questions of the doubts that maybe you carried in here this morning. But we're just gonna create some silence and I'm gonna guide us through. I'm gonna give you some passages of scripture that I want you to consider. But I just want you to be still to be quiet, to be comfortable. You might close your eyes, but let's go before the Lord and invite him into our time. I want to begin with this passage from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. It says, The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. 
Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 says, O son of man, you will come with the clouds of heaven in the presence of the ancient of days. You will be given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that people of every nation and language will worship you. Your dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and your kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So I want you to just pause in silence and in your heart express your words of praise and worship before the Lord. Psalm 24, verse 3, who may ascend your holy hill, O Lord, who may stand in your holy place, those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up their souls to idols or sworn by what is false. So in the quiet and silence, ask the Spirit to search your heart, to reveal any areas of unconfessed sin. Acknowledge them to the Lord, and then thank him for his forgiveness. Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Lord, may I learn the divine perspective Joseph had when he had said to his brothers, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, for God sent me before you to save lives. He sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. So in the silence, I just want you to pause. I want you to look to God for insight. That you might have understanding of the truth of his word, your identity in Christ. That you might know who you are and where he is leading you. And that you might just pray specifically for things that you know you have coming in the next days or coming weeks knowing that he has sent you there and he goes with you.
Psalm 62, one of my favorites, says, My soul waits in silence for God alone. In him is my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. And in him I will not be greatly shaken. Lamentations 3, 24, You are my portion, Lord, says my soul. Therefore, I will wait for you. You are good to those who wait for you. To the soul who seeks you, it is good to hope silently for your salvation. Lord, I pray for each and every person here that we would all be able to create space for silence, to invite you to speak into our hearts, to trust that your word is living and active. It is relevant. It applies to the details of our daily life, that we would look to you, that we would listen for your still, small voice. And we would accept the gift of your grace, the unexpected gift of silence. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before Jeff comes up, I just wanted to mention, this is one of my favorite resources. It's called Face to Face. It's by Kenneth Boa. And really, all it is is meditative prayer through passages of Scripture. And it is a great, great tool. So for what it's worth, I highly recommend it. So.